Let's pray. Father, we know that we are your servants. We know that you love us, but we also know that we have an enemy that wants to lie to us about that, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he uses our mind and the thoughts that we have in our minds that have been planted there from a darkness against us. We ask you to bring the light of truth into our minds so that we might be free, set us free. Lord, this is a tough subject to look at. It's a tough book to look at. Give us the courage that we need to look at this and help us to find comfort in in Job's story. We ask for the prayer of your spirit to complete our prayer and to complete this message. I give you my uh, mouth and my mind. I've prepared things, but I want your word to be what is spoken. Lead it in your way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you might ask, why would you preach on Job? And I have to answer you that I had to be led here kicking and screaming. I, I wouldn't really preach on it unless I had to come to it uh, in my own life. And while I will not in any way say that I understand Job's suffering and I will not claim to understand your suffering because I know that some of you have suffered way more than I will ever suffer. Um, But there's something about uh, the type of suffering that he goes through that I think we can all identify with. And if we can identify with it, if we can relate to this type of suffering, then maybe we can be comforted by God's word. Um, so for myself, I mean, you know the story of Job. I mean, basically, um, Job is a good man. However, the devil comes to God and says that Job is only good because Job, Job has been blessed with family, money, and good health. And so a heavenly bed is made that if these things were taken away from Job, he would curse God. And so Job's children and his wealth are gone, but he does not curse God. Then Job is stricken with a terrible sores on his body. His wife says that all is lost and Job should curse God and die, but he will not. You know, I can't imagine in one day all of his possessions, he was the richest man in the land, all of his possessions, everything he had, and his ten children, his seven sons and three daughters were killed. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know how you do that in that situation. I understand Job's wife saying, all is lost. Curse God and die. What do you have? And so what Job brings up to us is the unanswerable question of why do innocent people suffer? This did not happen as a result of Job's sin. It's very clear God is proud of him. He says, have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him in all the land. He's righteous. He fears God and avoids evil. This didn't happen as a result of uh, any sin on Job's part. I've heard people speak about this and people preach about this, and I've heard a number of people try to pin this on Job. Now, Job wasn't perfect. Um, Job... One of the things I've heard before is that the thing that I feared came upon me. So one people, 
one person or people have reasoned, you know, if you think in a fear system, then those things that you fear can come upon you. And there is some truth to that because fear is the operating system of the devil, whereas faith is the operating system of God. So we don't want to operate in the operating system of fear and give him access into our lives. We do want to operate in the system of faith. But who doesn't have times of doubt? Who doesn't go through that type of questioning? Um, so I don't really buy the fact that this happened as a result of what Job did in a wrong way. As a matter of fact, I think, if anything, it happened because he was the most righteous. That's the way the story clearly says. Um, there was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. His, he was blameless a man of integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and goes on to say all of the things that he had. Um, And he was careful. I mean, Job would pray over his family in the morning thinking that maybe they had sinned. You know, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. And then one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan, the accuser, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord answered. And Satan said, I have been going back and forth across the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you seen my servant Job? He's the finest man on all the earth, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and will have nothing to do with evil. God is proud of Job. God is proud of us. The accuser will use our own satellite system and plant messages inside, listing all of the things that we've done, and then accuse us of those things and, and tell us that God is not pleased with us. Now, that might have been true in Job's time. It wasn't true for God, Job, and that's why I think Job is like an indicator of what we are as Christians. Last week, Dennis was telling us who we are in Christ, and he challenged us, do we really believe who we are in Christ? If we really believe that we're forgiven, that we're redeemed, that we're saved, that we're set free, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm, that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound, if we really believe that, then why are we going to be affected by the insidious lies of the enemy, which is the only way that he gets power into our lives? Um, So I understand Job in some small way, and and this is how I've gotten to Job. I've shared a little bit with this before, Uh, starting actually when I came to this church, which is just a coincidence, I'm sure, Um, although probably not in some sense, in the sense that this is the freest place I've ever been. And I've been under a lot of religion before, and probably Satan wants me to still be under religion, and this is not religion. And so in that sense, I don't think it's a coincidence. But I've understood something of what Job has understood. Um, I had not a lot of money, but some money that I was using in the futures market, and I had figured out some way to make money. And I was actually making some money, more money than I had made in any such endeavor. And I actually thought, well, 
I might be able to start putting something away for retirement because I don't have anything put away for retirement because I have my own business. I don't report to anyone. I don't have a savings and security plan, et cetera. So I thought, well, maybe that's what God is going to bless me with. Well, I was making some money, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000 a year on it, which was a nice supplement to what I was making. And I did that for a few years. And then a few years ago, when the economy did what it did, the $7,000 that I had left in that account was obliterated. And that's when the headache started. That's also when I came here. And so first, my possessions. Now, I didn't lose my house or anything like that. But I lost the money that I thought I was going to use for my security to plan for my retirement. So it affected me, and I feel very responsible um, as a father and as a husband to provide, and, you know, maybe too much so, probably too much so, but I felt that. Then my children moved home. <laughs> um, and they're not here, so, and they probably won't listen to it online, so I can get away with this. <laughs> but uh, I love my children. I'm proud of my children. Um, and they're not children, they're grown, and they're going in the right direction, and I have great faith that they will uh, be the people that God has created them to be. But any of you parents know that it's not easy. It is the most difficult thing in the world to be responsible for someone, to raise them from a child, to bring them up in the ways of the Lord when you're living in an adulterous um, world. When all of the messages of the world that come against our children are negative, it's really tough to do that. And I've shared in that difficulty, and I've seen a lot of difficulty. I mean, you know, we've been involved with things that I would have never thought that we would have been involved with uh, raising Christian children. And, you know, it's hard. It's difficult. So when they came home, in addition to more mouths to feed, and they eat way more than we eat, um, and the additional electricity and the mess and all of that stuff was the responsibility that I still feel as a father to raise them in the way that they should go. And although they've moved and progressed, they're not where I'd like to see them to be. Well, that's a pressure on me, and, and so I feel that relative to Job. And then came the headaches, and the headaches have been there almost every day, since a year ago and two years ago, this coming January. And sometimes I go to sleep with them and dream about them and wake up with them, and I still have to do what I have to do. So in that small way, I understand. So, so I've asked, how come? I know I've got sins. I know I need to be purified. I know there's a lot of things that are involved in this. But how come? Aren't I your kid? Don't you love me? I've asked you to heal me. Aren't you Jehovah Rapha? Where are you? What's up? That's what Job is asking. What's up? He brings his case before God. And he says, I, show me why this is happening. Why is it occurring? What have I done? Show me my sin. I, I, and then his friends came and were all too happy to show him what they thought was his sins, right? And that was the voice of the accuser. You know, there's 42 chapters to Job. God has three of them. That's 7%. 7% of 
I think that's a pretty good analogy. Think of the voices in your head. Probably 7% are God. 93% are the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, I'm just following by that. That was just an inspiration that I had when I looked at how many chapters were there yesterday. But I think that that's pretty true, really. Most of what I think about and worry about and fear will come to pass doesn't happen. And it certainly doesn't help. Fear is the operating system of the devil. Faith is the operating system of God. Which would you rather work in? Which would you rather operate from? Which outcome would you rather have? I would rather have faith, but it's a, it's a choice that we must make. Um, I'd like to show you another clip from that movie that kind of dramatizes this point that Job gets to where we sort of lose our faith. Everyone loses faith at some time in their life. If you haven't gotten to a point where you doubt what you have been told by God, then be patient because it will happen. Everyone comes to this. It's unavoidable. Uh, Job is in here to comfort us, believe it or not. If we can handle Job, we can handle anything. I think that we avoid Job or accuse Job of doing wrong because we want to feel as though we have some system to avoid the experience of Job. If we can figure out something that Job did that was wrong, like the things I feared came upon me, so I'm not going to live in that fear. So what? So that those things that happen to Job won't come on us. That's our way of controlling it. But we can't control it. There's no way to avoid it. There's absolutely no way to avoid it. In this world, you will have much trouble. If you want to save your life, you have to lose your life. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross, deny your very self, die daily and follow me. And listen to the last part of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the heroes of faith where you know, the, the author of he Hebrews tells us about all of the things that happened as a result of faith. You know, faith giant after faith giant, Moses, Abraham, all of the people that did such wonderful things for maybe, I don't know, three-fourths of the chapter at least, maybe five-sixths of the chapter. But then there's, there's this little disconcerting piece at the end that you probably don't want to read uh, and, and you gloss over. I certainly have in the past, but here it is. But others trusted God and were tortured, preferring to die rather than to turn from God and be free. They placed their hope in the resurrection to a better life. Some were mocked and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in dungeons. Some died by stoning and some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about in skins of sheep and goats, hungry and oppressed and mistreated. 
they were too good for this world. They wandered over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people we have mentioned received God's approval because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had far better things in mind for us that would also benefit them. For they can't receive the prize at the end of the race until we finish the race. I mean, I love Joel Osteen. I I turn him on uh, to be uplifted, and I'll continue to watch him because it ministers to who I am and the way that I have been raised. But I think if you really understand uh, him, you'll understand that he knows that this is true too. Some think, sometimes good thing, bad things happen to good people. Uh, actually, I was listening to him the other night, and he was giving the account of his story when his father died. Now, his father prayed for a lot of people, and a lot of people were healed, including Joel Osteen's mother, who was healed uh, back in 81 of stage 4 terminal cancer. They gave her weeks to live. She went home quoting Bible verses about healing, and she's still alive and well. But Joel's father died. Joel's father lost his battle with high blood pressure, had to go on dialysis, and a friend was visiting. This is the the last words of his father. The friend was visiting, and he asked Joel Osteen's father, John, he says, how come you've prayed for all of these people and everyone's been healed, but God hasn't healed you? What's up with that? And Joel Osteen's father, John, said, his love and his kindness is everlasting. And those were his last words. Sometimes we have to make that statement of faith in spite of what we are facing. And I don't like that. I had to be dragged here kicking and screaming. Who wants to go to a place like this? But it's unavoidable. I know this is a hard message, but you know it's true. It is unavoidable. We have to face it. We have to know how to deal with it when it comes. The last time I talked about irrational beliefs and lies that are inside that the accuser plants, we have to recognize what they are and where they come from and where they don't come from. The only question you need to ask is, is this part of the 7% that comes from God? If it isn't, then it doesn't deserve your time and your energy. If it is, then listen up and obey. And God, you know what? He's very good at communicating. He's very clear. When he talks, people listen. When when he talked in the end, Job listened. And although Job didn't uh, get an answer uh, to his message, to his questions, He heard. Sorry, I'm missing a sheet, but this is just some of what God said. Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who led out the path of lightning? Who makes the rainfall in the barren land and the desert where one lives? Who sends the rain that satisfies the rain, that satisfies parched ground and makes tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? Where does the dew come from? 
Who's the mother of ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns to ice as hard as rock, and the surface of water freezes. Can you hold back the movement of the stars? Are you able to restrain Pilates and Orion? Can you ensure the proper sequences of the seasons or guide the constellation of the bear and the cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe and how God rules the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make, li make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct it? Who gives intuition and instinct? Who is wise enough to counsel all of the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven, turning the dry dust to clumps of mud? Who can stalk prey for a lioness and satisfy the lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides for the ravens when their young cry out to God and they wander about in hunger? Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask Who is it that questions my wisdom and my in, with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I did not understand, things that were too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you. You must answer them. I had heard about you before that, but now I see you with my own eyes. I take back everything that I said. I sit in the dust and ashes to show my repentance. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Tamanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not been right in what you said about me as my servant Job was. Now take these seven bulls and rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will restore. When... And, and this is a very uh, key line. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. That, that is, I can't take credit for that one. That was Steve Brown on uh, the Christian radio. He pointed that out. And I just thought that that was such a, a wonderful thing. When Job prayed for his friends, The accusers, those who were telling him what he was doing wrong, those who wanted to put him in his place, those who wanted to make it seem as though it was his sin that was bringing about this calamity, all those voices in our head that aren't the 7%, that aren't God, when we forgive those voices, when we forgive those people, when we forgive God, when we forgive ourselves, that's when God restores us. That's what it means to seek the kingdom first in his way of righteousness. His way of righteousness doesn't occur when we have anger and bitterness and resentment in our heart toward anyone. It doesn't matter whether it's toward ourselves, toward God, toward somebody else, toward something that God has allowed to happen. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we allow bitterness and resentment and the bondage that is inherent in that, in our heart. And that's the opposite of God's nature, and now we're in trouble. So when Job prayed for his friends, God restored him. That means when Job came back into a righteousness, seeking the kingdom first and being righteous with God, he repented, he humbled himself. That's when it occurred.
the, the key element that I think is important about Job, other than us finding some um, comfort in this, is that what happened to Job, there was one thing that Job did not have before this whole thing happened that he did have afterwards. And I'm not talking about double the stuff and everything else. He did receive double the stuff. But Job, before it happened, he had only heard about God. After it happened, I see you. Job came into a personal, intimate relationship with God in a way that he hadn't been prior to this event. Now, I don't like the method to get there, and I'm sure Job didn't like it either, but he was happy that he got there. My wife and I were going to uh, dinner on July 4th down to uh, Jimmy's restaurant in uh, North Haven, West West Haven. And it's an okay restaurant, but it's on the water and it's nice. And um, so on the way down there, there was a nice sunset. And I, I had a moment of inspiration. I, I had a headache, you know. I didn't really want to drive down to West Haven, but I knew that my wife did. And, and so we went. And, um, and I was, you know, putting a, my best face on it with the headache and everything. And, and I saw the sunset. And, and God, it was one of the 7% things. God said, you know what? I'm really good. I really love you. Nothing's going to happen to you. I got you. You know? And I said, if I could just know that all the time, if I could just operate in that faith that he's got me, that he loves me, that he's got my back, that he's not really going to let anything really bad happen to me, and anything that he does allow happen, he's going to work it around for the good. He promises that he'll work it for the good. I mean, he's either true or he isn't. Who are we going to believe? I don't always believe it. I know we don't always believe it, but I just got a glimpse into it. If I could just operate in that faith, if I could just believe that truth, then that would be enough.